Greetings. You are listening to Juncture Podcast. For those of you that may be listening for the first time, Juncture represents my love of films and dreams and the connections between them. These are also the two topics that I discuss on this podcast. I believe that dreams are the films our mind creates and films are dreams actualized. I use a multidisciplinary approach to explain films and dreams through the use of symbols, imagery, motifs, and other narrative and visual techniques involved in storytelling and understanding meaning. Today's episode is going to be a film analysis. The film is called Rust Creek. It is a 2018 American crime thriller film directed by Jen McGowan and written by Julie Lipson. It is based on a, a original story by Julie Lipson and Stu Pollard. It stars I'm gonna miss I'm gonna try to pronounce her name. It stars Hermione Corfield as Sawyer. She is a college student who becomes lost while on a road trip and is hunted by criminals who believe her to be a witness to their crimes. The film also stars Jay Paulson as Lowell, 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 Sean O'Brien as Sheriff O'Doyle, Micah Hopton as Hollister, and Daniel R. Hill as Buck. As of this recording, it is available on Netflix. Now, before I jump into this episode, I must issue a spoiler alert, so turn back now if you haven't seen the movie. Um, I'm going to start off a little different than I usually, well, I mean sort of a little different than when I usually do movies, but I just really wanted to talk about the opening, I believe it's the opening scene, opening credit scenes. And then later on in the movie, while Sawyer is driving, there are some very special shots uh, that stuck with me. And I don't know what it is, but there is just something about when vehicles are filmed from above and the bird's eye view, I guess it is, while they're traveling. I just get this feeling of doom and dread I've seen it used in a lot of horror films and also in anything that's really dramatic. And I was watching this, this made me think of, I was watching um, Lock and Key on Netflix and I mentioned this in the uh, earlier dream episodes that I recorded, but they also did it in Lock and Key uh, in the, the first episode, the beginning of the first episode where they're filming the car as they're traveling. And like, I don't... I mean, I did have like a pretense of what this movie is about and what that show is about, but it's it's still, it's just being the way that it's shot from above. I just automatically think something bad is about to happen or, you know, that something bad is coming ahead. Though visually seeing the vehicle traveling on the road shot from above, looking tiny, traveling on a tiny road and then surrounded by this vast space that's much larger than the car just has this feeling of being up against something bigger, being unmatched or mismatched, 
of being small and insignificant or being swallowed up by um, swallowing, being swallowed up whole by the vast unknown, the things around it. The things you can't see because of your perspective while you think you're safe in this little metal box that you can only see what's in front of you up to a certain distance. I think what this film was going for and others that use this technique, having the bird's eye view, seeing all the deserted bear forest around and ahead of Sawyer, she can't see because of her perspective in her Jeep, just like she can't see the danger ahead of her or the danger to come. The bird's eye view is almost like a look into the future because of how the vantage point allows you to see what's in front of you before you actually see it. That bird's eye view from above is sort of saying there's something that's coming ahead. She, you know, the main character that's in the car or whatever can't see it, but you as the viewer of the movie or the show, you are being told that there's something coming ahead that she can't see. And it's just that unknown, scary, and it feels feels like doom and dread. So that technique really set the stage. And I think it pretty much, I mean, it sets the stage in this film, but also whenever it's used, it really lets you, it just sets the, the right right amount of drama and fear into the scene before like any real action starts to happen or like right before some action is about to happen. So the story starts off right away. Um, There's really no backstory about Sawyer. What we learn about Sawyer is how we see her on screen after these events have sort of unfold and she's surviving and trying to 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 get out of this situation. We sort of learn about our character and our personality, but they don't really show anything much about her. We just know she's a college student. She is athletic because at the opening scene when they show her on campus, she's on the track running. So we know that she's athletic, she's in shape. So that's going to come into play later on in the movie. Like these little bits and pieces that they show you early on and you don't really think they're going to fit but they all come into play later on and there are other instances as well really good storytelling on the part of the writers and the directors and all that stuff so she's out running she's on the track and she gets a call that she got she is uh, what's it called like she's they liked her, or I guess her initial application or the initial interview, and so now they're calling her to do an in-person interview in Washington, D.C. She goes to school in Kentucky. She's from Kentucky. She gets the call, I believe it's like on a Monday, and this is during November, during Thanksgiving, so it's the Monday before Thanksgiving. So she gets a call. She immediately packs her bags, and it shows her leaving out the interview is on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It is later discovered that she was last seen Monday morning by her college roommate. She goes to a school called Center College in Danville, Kentucky. It's eight and a half hour drive to Washington, (laughs) D.C. 
And this is like, it's probably unnecessary, but like I mapped it out because I kind of wanted to see like how long would actually take her and then how far she'd gotten in her trip before she ran in trouble. But anyway, it's eight and a half hour drive from Danville, Kentucky to Washington, D.C. The people that made Rusk Creek say that the fictional Fording County where Sawyer gets stranded is set in eastern Kentucky, somewhere between Danville and Interstate 64. You guys want to look that up big on facts and stuff. I'm going to kind of go sort of chronologically, but I'm also going to, I also made a point to highlight the things, like I said earlier, that come into play towards the beginning of the movie, but it ends up being very important later on in the movie. So when she is, after she's running on the track and she gets in her car and that's when she checks her voicemail and she gets the 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 voicemail about the job interview she starts tries to start her jeep but it doesn't start right away and so that little tidbit that they show makes you think oh my god she's gonna be driving on the highway in the middle of nowhere and her car is gonna break down because the jeep didn't start right away and it's not like a brand new car it's like a used car she's gonna break down inside the highway or something and she's gonna get a ride from somebody and she's never seen again Um, But the car ends up starting and then she takes off like, you know, like right away. And then I was just thinking like, oh, my gosh, she should have she should have gotten like a tune up before she hit this eight hour drive. And, you know, the car might not make it, but that's not what happened, guys. Um, So she's traveling in her car and she has the radio on. There's a traffic alert and they're talking about because it's thanks you know the week of thanksgiving they're talking about all this traffic and there this certain highway that she's currently on or that she's going to be on is backed up and it's going to take like hours to get through and that's when she reroutes herself to take these back roads but when i first saw the traffic radio it just made me it was like a subliminal message kind of the terror to come because the the traffic radio person was like the chaos on the highway of Thanksgiving and they're like stay away from highways and just the words they were using like chaos and stay off the highway and it just gives me like stranded motorist vibes and so I was like oh my god like they're implanting these ideas in your head of what's to come and so it's like this buildup of anticipation of of what's in store for Sawyer so like I said she reroutes to these back roads so she doesn't get, you know, in hopes to not get stuck on the highway. So she gets lost somewhere between rural Kentucky. I thought, initially I thought, well, rural Kentucky or somewhere in West Virginia. But according to, I believe it's Wikipedia, she actually gets lost in the Appalachian Forest, which is the boonies is... <laughs> It's not, it's not in the middle, it's it's not in the, it's not in the middle of anywhere. And so it shows her, she goes off the highway and she drives through this little town. It's like these little quaint little houses in a church. There's like a man on his tractor and there's cows and the grass is all green and pretty. But as she's driving through the town, this um, ominous this is the word that I can't pronounce. I tried to phonetically spell it out and I still messed it up. As she's driving through the tra- as she's driving through the town, 
ominous music is playing. I got it right that time. Um, so she goes, as she's driving through the town, suddenly it gets more and more deserted and more and more sketchy. So these quaint little houses and farmland and pastures turn into barren woods in the fall. There's like no leaves. Everything's dry and dead. I I thought she was going to get in an accident. Okay, so I was like, okay, her car's not going to break down. She's looking at her phone. She's going to get in a car accident. And the car is going to be jacked up and she can't drive it. Because she starts, she goes, she's going through these woods and it's more and more deserted. There's no houses, there's no people or anything. And it keeps telling her, you know, oh, 30 miles, make a right turn. She tries to make this right turn, but it's like a dead end. There's like no road there for whatever reason. And she's looking at her phone and stuff. And I was like, she's going to crash. She's going to get an accident. But she didn't get an accident, but then as as me, I'm a, a yelling movie viewer, at least when I'm at home by myself. But I was just like, oh my God, she is she is is not is not gonna end well. Like I, I was definitely getting bad feelings about I mean, I, I know she's something she's gonna need happen. She's going to get lost from the synopsis. but And so I also figured that her GPS on her phone was never rerouting her because she was so out in the middle of nowhere. There was like a poor cell signal. But I was yelling because it just, it was just not the right. It didn't look like a safe place to be, to just park on the side of the road and start like looking at your phone. I was just thinking she should have turned back around went into town and parked and then rerouted herself using the paper map that she had or just keep going until the the GPS on the phone picks up signal and then it automatically reroutes her but she was like trying to like look down at the phone and she was still driving and then when she finally turned around that's when she kind of pulled into this other little driveway and there was like an abandoned house these two characters come into play, Buck and Hollister, their brothers. They are off kind of in the woods behind some trees. And they were burying this uh, this guy's body. They see her in her car, how she parked and how she just kind of stopped there. But she's just looking at her map. They think she's watching them or she sees them burying the body, but she wasn't even looking at them. She was looking down at her phone and think maybe the map. They start to freak out, but she backs up and she turns around and goes up the road some more and then she parks. She gets out and start looking at her paper map. That's when the brothers roll up on her and they're like, you know, what you doing? One of the brothers tries to get her into their car and like, you know, hey, why don't you come back to our house? with us and you can smoke and drink and because you don't know where you're going she was like no 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 one of the brothers he's like the he's the boss he's like the instigator he's like the troublemaker he's the leader he kind of blocks her from getting back into her car and he finally moves but then he's still really not letting her go he's kind of they're just like standing there in front of her and she ends up I believe she ends up hitting she ends up fighting the brother. She hits him. And then the other brother grabs her. And she grabs his knife. But then he cuts her. So she has like a leg wound. 
she gets away and she runs off into the woods. So she leaves her car and everything. She runs off into the woods and they try to chase her, but they can't find her. Because remember, I was like, she's an athlete, you know, and so she took off and they, they, they didn't catch her. But that's another part where they show parts of Soria's personality that she's like a fighter. Um, she must have took some self-defense classes or something because she was, she kind of let them have it. So she she's out in the woods and there's a scene where she's bleeding from her leg and she goes and tries to like wash off her her leg in the in the creek and the blood gets in the creek and then the camera pans off behind her and it shows the blood running off her leg and running through into the water and it's showing it you know flowing down into the creek and that's another thing that I thought was important for two reasons because it alludes to when uh, I believe the sheriff is talking to her about Rust Creek and how Rust Creek got its name. But I'll talk about that later. But it's like Rust Creek is red. The 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 water used to be red from the clay deposits that came down from upstream or like down from the mountain. It would be the runoff and the water would turn like red, rust red. And I was like, oh my God, like her blood is in the water and it's turning it red. It's like... But another thing also was that she had started bleeding and she was like leaving this trail of blood through the forest where the brothers could find her. Um, another interesting visual in the movie, they the camera would pan pan up to the sky and it showed these buzzards or vultures circling overhead. Like they were looking for something dead to eat or that something was close to dying, being like Sawyer out in the woods, bleeding from this huge gash in her leg. It was a foretelling of death. Buzzards are large hawk-like birds of prey with broad wings and a rounded tail, typically seen soaring in wide circles. Vultures are reputed to gather in anticipation of death of a sick or injured person or animal. Now, the buzzards in the sky are vultures, and I also felt like the brothers were somewhat vultures. They were just trying to follow around her, following her or her trail or looking for her in the woods. And one of the brothers was just like, why don't we just wait for her to die and then find her body and bury her? And so he's kind of like this vulture waiting for her to die and to just, you know, kind of like, I mean, not like pick off her corpse, but sort of just like dispose of her corpse the way a vulture would, you know, so you don't have all these rotting decaying animals and stuff laying all over the highways because vultures are like they help clean up and keep the dead from dead animals and stuff from spreading disease so it's they're kind of like vultures how they're preying on her you know circling around the forest waiting for her to die the other brother he wants to hunt her down and find her body to cover up for the murder like once they hunt her down and kill her and this could also be symbolic of Sawyer being on the verge of death so it's kind of like not like a fake what yeah like a fake of saying like oh she's gonna die like these are buds circling around the brothers are like why don't we just wait for her to die she's not gonna make it and so it's early on they're like okay 
letting the viewer believe that she's going to die. And so you kind of get this feeling like, oh, my gosh, she's not going to make it. And you really want her to make it. Like you never want the, you know, the person to get stranded. It just happens to be out there. You don't want them to die. So there was a lot of confusion at first for me because I didn't realize I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, the sheriff is just lazy. He's not trying to really investigate. You know, what's going on? The sheriff is really weird. She's still in the woods for at least two or three days, I believe, because in the movie, it's Thanksgiving and she still hasn't been found. So she's been in the woods since Monday afternoon. She passes out because she hasn't had any food or water. And this guy finds her. The guy that finds her ends up being the cousin of the two brothers that were looking for her. He's working with his cousins, the two brothers, Buck and Hollister, to make meth. Like, he is a chemist. He's the one making meth. The brothers are distributing it. And they're all working in cahoots, spoiler alert, with the sheriff, who's like the ringleader trying to make this meth, this thing, you know, popping out here in these in these woods and trying to make some money. He, Lowell makes it so he made it seem like the brothers are well known and popular like they run the town but I mean I guess they kind of run the town they're kind of like a you know the one brother especially is a menace um but it was kind of like a a a, sort of like a, a like a quick tell that sort of give you a hint that they're actually in cahoots with the sheriff and the sheriff is like, you know, he's he's not just anybody. He's the sheriff, right? So if he's working behind the scenes with these guys to make and sell these drugs, I mean, he has the, what's the word I'm looking for? He has the reputation to where he can say something and people will believe him because he's the sheriff. So he's trying to hide Sawyer so the brothers can't find her because if the brothers find her, they're going to kill her. The sheriff is going to back them up and cover it up. No one's ever going to find out what happened to her. His plan is to help her get out of Fording County, where they're at, away from that sheriff and from all the influence that he has, and so she can get help and, you know, tell her story about what's going on out there because that whole, he's he runs the whole county out there. Like, no one's going to, they're going to take his word over hers and definitely over Lowell and the brothers when it comes down to it. (sighs) Drama, 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 drama. So she is hiding out in Lowell's trailer while he's cooking meth. And she's kind of like learning about meth and how it's made while she's there with Lowell in his meth lab. His his impromptu, his, his... his bootleg meth lab. I mean, but meth labs are all bootleg. Like, you don't have a legit meth lab. That doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, while she's in hiding out with him in his trailer, their interaction, you get to know the both of them. So you get to know a little bit about Sawyer, a little more about Sawyer, and then a little bit about Lowell. Um, Sawyer thinks Lowell is just this hillbilly bootleg chemist, but he's actually smarter than he looks. And I would say he's he's probably a product, well, his current condition is a product of his circumstances. And the fact he can't be doing anything else with his knowledge and he's just in this trailer making meth, he seems like 
he's smarter than people are probably giving him credit for. Another little uh, mental note to make during this scene when he talks about anhydrous ammonia, he says it's very volatile, it's flammable if heated. He goes one spark and then he trails off and gets a really sad look on his face. Earlier, before he makes the con- okay, there's there's two two little gems in this this particular scene. Um, the first one is that earlier the brothers had come to the trailer looking for Sawyer. She had went out went out of the trailer to hide in the woods because they had come in the house, and she's out back or out somewhere outside by you know on the woods around the trailer, and she finds this burned down little house or something. And she looks down in the ashes, like the, you know, the ashes and the burned stuff is still there. And she picks up this framed photo and you can see there's a a photo still in the frame, but there's like soot and ashes and stuff over the top. So she doesn't really see who's in the photo. But when Lowell makes that remark about one spark, you know, he trails off and it gets, you know, really sad. Um, That made me think that he had family, um, at least a wife, because he mentions a wife, but he had, you know, family or something that I think died in a meth lab fire and it killed them. Um, because it also kind of looks like he had burn scars like on his neck or something. It doesn't explicitly say that, but I get the feeling because he got really angry when he saw Sawyer was over there by that burned down place looking at you know, looking at stuff. And so I think that's what happened. And he mentions that he did have a wife. And and so I think his wife died. I did notice that he was still wearing a wedding ring. So it's something, something very emotional. Something happened, definitely. But they didn't really talk about it. The sheriff is, he's just getting out of control. So at this point in the movie, he's killed his deputy. Because the deputy, he was a good guy. He was a good cop. He was really trying to investigate what was going on. The sheriff kept blowing off because he didn't want nobody to investigate anything because they would have found out what he was doing with the brothers and the meth lab and all this stuff. Another important um, comment. I don't believe it's in the same scene where they're talking about the anhydrous ammonia. I think it's in a later scene. But anyway, Lowell makes this comment. He says his wife used to say, man plans, God laughs. Later on, him and Sawyer or <laughs> Sawyer's helping him cook meth so that they can so that Lowell can have the meth finished when the brothers come because they're gonna take it and try to distribute it and try to sell it. So he's making this meth for the brothers to come. Um so they're making meth. They're out dumping all the waste from the meth in the creek. Sawyer and Lowell are sitting down by the creek and he makes this he has this really great scene and um, he's talking about sort of like God's plan. And he says, like in our life, everyone we meet is a chemical reaction. They change us and we change them. Because we change them, we can go on and have different reactions with other people. And we don't always know how it'll end up. We don't. Like the matchbooks, they don't know how they'll end up. But just because you can't see a plan, that don't mean there ain't one. And it was so, like, really, like, sad and bittersweet, so it feels like something's going to happen. So there's, like, this plan that's going on that's underway. The plan that's 
that has already been mapped out for Lowell and that's already been mapped out for Sawyer, you know, all the characters in the film, there's this plan that's already been mapped out. We don't know how it's going to end up because there's been twists and turns already up to this point. So we don't know how it's going to end up. But you can't, you know, see this plan that's underway, but just can't, you, you can't, just because you can't see it doesn't mean that there isn't one. And, you know, we hope that there's something positive because at this point, I'm kind of rooting for Lowell too. Like I want him to make it. I want him to get out of the meth business and start his life off somewhere else. I want Sawyer to make it out of this save. Like, you know, now I'm rooting for the both of them. And it's like, you don't know what the plan. I mean, you kind of have this doom that, you know, neither of them are going to make it. But, you know, you just kind of want, I guess you just kind of want to see it through with this whole scene of talking about the plan and you, it kind of gets your hopes up. I mean, especially for him because the next thing he talks about, he says, there's too many ghosts in these woods. This was going to be his, his, his last cook. This was going to be the last time he did it. He was going to leave town. And then he talks about there's too many ghosts in this woods. And I, I definitely believe that not only he lost his wife, but I don't know, maybe he lost his kids. Um, definitely, I think he, I definitely at this point when he says that, I definitely think he lost his wife in the fire. Um, when he says there's too many ghosts in these woods. But just of him saying that, you get the feeling of doom and it's just really bittersweet and, you're, and it's sad and it's like, oh. But you have this hope for him, and you just, you want him to make it, and you want Sawyer to make it. But then there's just like this doom, like they were just sitting there beside the creek, and it was like sunny, and you know she, he was he was telling her, um, you know this way is that road, and if you go up north, this way is this way, and you know, and he was like, you know, I'll I'll help you escape, like you know, I'll get the. He'll get his cousin's truck and get her out of Fordham County so she can get help. And it's just like talking about the plan, you know, this plan that he had and the hope for the future. And, you know, he was seeing a bright side. He was going to quit cooking meth. And then, but there was just still like this underlining sense of doom. And it was just sad. And I was like, oh my God. But it was like one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. After that, <laughs> She, they're sitting on the sofa and they, they come out and they dumped all the waste from the meth in the creek. They come back to the trailer and sitting down talking. And this is the part where he tells her, you know, uh, I'm going to go get the cousin's truck while they're gone. Um, trying to distribute the meth. I'll go get the truck and then we can leave. You know, I'll drop you off somewhere outside of Fordham County and then I'm going to be gone. They won't see me. And then he mentions she she brings out this cutting tool because um, earlier in the film when she first woke up in Lowell's trailer, she grabbed this tool, this like little like some kind of carving knife because she was in a cutting with it. She didn't know who he was or what was going on, and she ended up keeping it and she still had it with her. And so she's talking to him on the sofa in the trailer, and she's like, "I guess I should give this back to you." And then he goes, no, keep it as a souvenir, you know, when people ask you, you know, this be something to talk about, something like that. And she puts it back in her pocket. That's a very important note because it's going to come into play later. Because when she first picked it up and the camera, it like focused on her hand, picking it up off the table. And I was like, oh, 
that's important. That's going to come into play later. So that was the first time. The second time when she's talking with Lowell and she gives it back to him. He's like, no, keep it. I was like, okay, it's definitely going to come into play later on. So when they're sitting on the, on the, on the couch talking, they think, because the brothers came there to pick up the final batch and they were going to take it to distribute it. They thought the brothers had, you know, they were gone. They had, you know, up the road somewhere. That's not what happens. So they parked on the side of the road somewhere and then walked back up and then just bust through the house, bust through the trailer and see Sawyer and Lowell sitting on the on the sofa talking. And they're like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Sawyer and Lowell are, are scared because they're like, oh my God, they're, they're going to kill her. Like, she can't, she can't leave. The the sheriff, the brothers, they all got something in this. They can't, you know, they can't let her leave. So Lowell just kind of like plays it off and act like, you know, she's been his hostage this whole time. And he's like, why don't you go get him some coffee, you know? And she's like looking at Lowell and Lowell's looking at her and he's like, yeah, why don't you go get him some coffee? So the anhydrous ammonia, I guess because it's so volatile, Lowell has it in this thermos, like the thermos that you would drink out of, keep your beverages hot or cold. He's got it in the thermos. So she gets a a coffee mug from the, the cabinet, pours it in the coffee mug. And they're not paying attention. They're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, oh, Lowell, you're like this deviant. You know, you got this girl up in this trailer. You've been holding her hostage and stuff. And he's, like, playing along. And she's, you know, pouring in the anhydrous ammonia in the cup. And then she puts it in a microwave and starts to heat it up. And she goes back down. And she's standing over by Lowell. And the brothers of them are talking and, and stuff. And the other brother, the the one named Buck, he's standing closer to the microwave and the microwave starts smoking and it's smelling weird because the, the anhydrous ammonia is heating up. There's smoke coming out of the microwave and Lowell and uh, Hollister are talking and they're not paying attention. And Buck is like, hey, I think something's wrong. Something's wrong. And the brother's like, you know, Hollister's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just ask him about this. Next thing you know, the freaking microwave blows up because the stuff is in there and it's hot. <laughs> so it blows up the the brother Buck that was close to the microwave. He I, I I guess he died on impact. And then um Lowell grabs Sawyer and like they he pushed her down. They both hit the floor. And then the other brother, Hollister, was kinda oh, he was a little bit further. He was closer to where um, Lowell and Sawyer were so he comes out okay but Lowell, <laughs> Lowell and Sawyer make it out of the trailer first and he's telling her you know like run get out of here she takes off running and uh, R.I.P. Lowell but he ends up getting in a confrontation with Hollister and then the Hollister shoots Lowell. The sheriff rolls up. I don't know where he was. I can't remember how he got there. But the sheriff then shoots Hollister because he's like, nobody, like, no, this is not going to fly. Like, if this, there's this, been this explosion, and then this dude, he's got on a, a sheriff, a police officer. You know, like, it was just all kind of mess. Like, this, he was just like, no, we got to cover the whole thing up. Everybody's dying. So he kills 
the brothers and you know Buck is inside dead. He didn't kill Hollister. He kills Lowell, and then that's when he goes after Sawyer. But she's got kind of a head start. But Lord, so there was another. I don't know how I forgot to mention this, but okay. So the whole time Sawyer knows who Lowell is. She knows the two brothers, but she doesn't. She doesn't know what the sheriff looks like. She doesn't know that the brothers and the cousin, Lowell, is working for the sheriff. Like, she doesn't know. Um, Lowell did not tell her that. He just kind of said that, you know, you need to get all the way out of Fordham County. You can't trust nobody here. Uh, You can't trust the brothers. He never, I don't know why. I mean, I guess for the movie's sake. But I was like, it just doesn't make no sense. He should have told her, like, hey, girl, the sheriff is in on us. That's why you got to get all the way up out of this county. Like, you can't nobody can help you here but he never said anything and then the only time she got close to almost seeing him was when he came to the trailer and he was talking to Lowell she was hiding in the trailer she heard his voice but she didn't see his face and she didn't really recognize his voice because he was like outside she was inside it was kind of muffled he wasn't talking real loud but he said a phrase that he used several at least three or four times in the movie, he would tell when people would question him and the sheriff goes, I'm the chief, you're the Indian. So he's like, I run this. I tell you what to do and you follow my orders, basically. And so he said that several times. Like he told his deputy, I think he said it to Buck and Hollister at one point. He said it to Lowell when he was outside talking to him. Lowell was like, oh, you can't, you can't come in my house. You can't something. And the sheriff was like, well, I'm the chief, you're the Indian. So we're back at the trailer. The sheriff done shot everybody there. And Sawyer is running through the woods trying to get away. And she finally makes it up to the highway. And she sees this police um, police car pull up. She, I mean, of course you'd be excited because you're like, yeah, police. Lowell ain't never told her that the sheriff is in on it. You can't trust him, but. Yeah, so it ends up being the sheriff. He didn't circle around in his Jeep, finds her out on the road. And because, you know, that thing where her and Lowell were at the creek, he was telling her, you know, you run in this direction and you'll get up to the highway. And that's what she did. She ran that direction. She got up to the highway, but the sheriff circled back around. He came up on the highway, picked her up. She's in the car and she's in the back seat so it's like a patrol car patrol suv or something so she can't open it from the inside so she's in the back seat and he's just driving and she's like you know shouldn't you be calling for help or something um because she was like i think there's people still alive at the trailer like should you be calling for help trying to get them some help they might still be alive and so that's when he says, you know, he's trying to tell her, to, you know, don't be telling me what to do. I'm not calling nobody. And then he says, I'm the chief. Uh, you're the Indian. And she says that and it clicks. She remembers that she tries to stay calm, but you can tell she's like nervous because she knows that's the guy that was at the trailer. That's Lowell's boss, you know, who's giving him orders to make these, you know, the drugs and stuff. Oh. <sighs> So he pulls over on side the road and tells her to get out. And he's like, you know what's, you know what's next. You know what's going to happen. Just walk into the woods. And so he's going to walk her into the woods and kill her, like, right there. Um, at this point in the film, this girl has been missing for, 
going on a week now. So it's, it's past Thanksgiving. A deputy has been murdered. This girl has been missing. Her family's been calling there looking for her. And so a guy, he's, I think he's, it's the state troopers or someone. It's not anyone from Fordham County. They've already been out there in the woods and stuff searching for Sawyer. Um, so there's, you know, all these state troopers out there, I believe there's state troopers out there looking for Sawyer. So he's really trying to wrap this up because he doesn't want them to um, find her alive. So he leads her out into the woods and then they went over to the creek. That's when he goes on his little history lesson about how Rose Creek was named. He goes in the creek and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to kill her and let, you know, just let her fall off in the creek and she's going to wash downstream. Um, and so he says, you know, the clay deposits uphill would run down and they're like run off from the rain. They would turn the water red, red like blood. Hers assuming, because at this point, She's standing in the water. He's got a gun. You know what I mean? Like, you just like, okay, it's over for Sawyer. Like, she's not going to make it. That's her blood that's going to be running in Rust Creek like the clay deposits used to run in Rust Creek. And so even till the very end, you're like, you think she's going to make it, but she gets picked up by this guy, by the by the sheriff, and he's, you know, of course he's going to kill her. She gets out of the car and you're thinking like, oh, okay, maybe she can run and escape in the woods. And she can get away that way. But then you're like, nah, he's got the gun on and he's talking about the clay deposits would turn the water, you know, red. And you're like, red, like blood, like, oh my God, he's, she's going to die in this creek. Like her blood's going to be spilled in the creek. That's when she, she hits the sheriff and she like knocks him out and they're like fighting. And she pulls out that little carving knife thing. So remember, she kept that. She pulls that out. He hits her and she falls down and she drops it. But he's like choking her or something and her hands in the water and she's trying to feel for the little knife. She finds it, stabs the sheriff in like the chest or something, right? He falls out. He's he's dead. The camera shows the water and it shows him in the water. Plot twist. You know, Russ Creek was running red from his blood, not Sawyer's. She made it, and like the end scene is her running again, like she was kind of in the beginning, running down the highway, and all these state trooper cars are coming up behind her with their lights flashing, like just in time. Like, can you imagine if the sheriff had killed her? And he comes out of the woods and, and he flags down the cars and like, hey, I just found her body over here in the woods floating. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, like it could have ended so differently. But um, Sawyer is the final girl. She survives. I'm happy that she survived, but it's kind of bittersweet because I kind of wanted Lowell to make it too. Like, kind of feel bad for him, you know, that he lost his family and the fire and I guess he was sort of looking for redemption. He was kind of, I mean, I don't i don't know everything about Lowell's backstory, but I mean, he was a more, you know, a decenter human being than his cousins were because they were going to kill her. I mean, he could have killed her too. And nobody would have known anything, you know, but he chose to kind of like, he chose to help her out and try to hide her because he couldn't, he didn't have a car, you know, so he couldn't like drive her anywhere right away to get help. So he did what he could. And then, you know, when the brothers had planned to leave town, he was going to go to his 
I think he said his aunt or his grandmother's house and get their truck and then take her out of the county to get help. But that was not in the cards for Lowell. So I feel like he was at his core, you know, he was good or he was, you know, at least trying to be. Another thing that I mentioned, and this happened a lot in the interaction between the sheriff and Hollis, I mean, the sheriff and Lowell, when they first, like, they did their, like, little scene together and they were talking, the sheriff commented that Lowell was a smart Pritchard, which is, I guess, Lowell's last name. Lowell makes a comment, like, if you move, I'm going to shoot this huge drum of ethyl, uh, some kind of flammable liquid, ethyl alcohol or something, ethanol or something to use to make meth. And he was like, you step closer. I'm not going to shoot you, you know, because the, the sheriff was like, oh, you're not going to shoot me. I'm going to shoot you first. And Lowell was like, no, I don't have to shoot you. I just have to shoot that tank. And then we're all going <laughs> to, you're going to blow up. I'm going to blow up. We're all going to blow up. Um, and then the sheriff was like, oh, you know, uh, a smart Pritchard, you know, who would have thought? And it reminded me of growing up in a small town where everybody knows you, everybody knows your family, and it kind of puts you in a box. You know, if you have everyone in your family lives in this town, everybody knows your family, everyone in the family kind of has a reputation for being like criminals or like losers or just being, you know, like low lives or bumps or something, just having like this really negative reputation. And it being hard to sort of break out of the box, trying to break free from the reputation when you live in a small town because everyone is going to kind of assume that you're not going to amount to much. Everyone's gonna, going to accept that idea and probably not give you a chance to amount to anything and they're not going to let you amount to anything or they're just really going to try to stifle your growth. You can get caught up in circumstances where you end up trapped in these places. In the movie, Lowell was trapped. Like He didn't have a car. He couldn't get out. Probably didn't really, I don't know, maybe he never really left town. Maybe he never went to college or something. So it's like he doesn't have a way out. Like He doesn't have any type of means via you know a traditional education or money or a vehicle to literally get outside of this box this town has put him in and um yeah so he really he's like trapped by his circumstances and so he was really like I need to make a clean break and leave town and he was talking about that chemical reaction how when people meet each other when people interact with each other it's like a chemical reaction and they change and then the people they interact with change and they go on to change other people and so Sawyer was like this you know chemical reaction that changed him and made him think you know like I want to you know I want to I want to leave town I don't want to do this anymore because he was like helping her and I guess it just got really you know he got caught up in the life it got really serious because now his cousins and the sheriff were looking to kill this girl. She didn't have nothing to do with it. She just got caught up in this situation. And so I was like, okay, this is this change, this chemical reaction that I needed to make me realize, like, this is too much. I need to get out of here. One last comment before I end this, and I hope I'm going on too long. But one last comment, a major theme being bound and being trapped in the woods. I mentioned earlier how Lowell needed to free himself and... As a viewer, we start 
wanting this second chance for Lowell and a second chance for Sawyer, but eventually he's trapped in the woods um, because that's where he's murdered. He ends up being trapped in the woods after all, and then he sort of feel like Sawyer is going to be trapped in the woods, but that's not what happens for her. But you still have this fear because of everything that's happening and it's happened up to that point. Lowell is tied and bound to the woods just like Sawyer is, just like they all are because they all die there. They, you know, the guy that they buried initially, he's trapped in the woods. The two brothers, they die in the woods. The way the woods and the characters are bound together also gives them power where the sheriff and the brothers are sort of in this little vacuum of this small world, Fordham County, where they kind of run run everything So them being sort of trapped by these woods kind of give them power. But for other people that don't have that, you know, that luxury or that kind of ability or that that chance to be aligned with someone like the sheriff, they don't have that kind of power. And the woods, they're just, you know, they're just trapped. There's no there's no kind of power for them in that. Um, And I mentioned the theme of being bound, trapped to the woods the town, the uh, Fordham County. Also, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but by others' ideas or assumptions of you often through association. You know, in a small town, everybody knows your business. Everybody knows your family history. It's also difficult to change, difficult to grow, evolve, explore, because people think they know your past and present, so your future is already predetermined. It's kind of reminded me of that thing where he said, uh, where Lowell was talking about, man playing God's laugh where it's kind of like the people in this town kind of had a plan for Lowell, kind of had a plan for everybody there. Um, Sora gets in the town, there's like this plan for her and you kind of feel it's predetermined but I mean Sawyer beat the, I guess she defeated her initial plan. Well she defeated the plan other people had for her but maybe it was, well yeah it was in her plan, it was her plan it was in God's plan all along for her to survive, but she beat, you know, the brother's plan they had for her to die and the sheriff's plan they had for her. Um, I got the feeling also that Sawyer was trying to escape her destiny as well and that she also felt binded. She went to college that was three hours away from her home because in the movie I found out that she's from Paducah. And she goes to school in Danville. It's only three hours, you know, three hours away. But she wants this to get this job all the way in D.C. further than what she's known. So maybe she also kind of feels bound by her life in Kentucky. She grew up in Kentucky. She's going to college in Kentucky. And she's like, I got to get out of here. So she really, you know, wanted this job. She's really excited about that. I also want to know, when I looked up the word to bind, um, it's got lots of different meanings. And to bind, of course, it's a verb to tie or fasten something tightly, to restrain someone, um, also to wrap something tightly. In ancient Greece and Rome, binding spells were used to bind people up to different outcomes in sporting events, business, and personal affairs related to love and even revenge. So in a sense, a small town life and people are like a spell that can bind you up to certain outcomes in life. And that is a great closing to this episode. So don't forget to follow me on Spotify. 
I'm also available on many other podcast platforms. Just search for Juncture Podcast and you'll see my logo. You can also find me on Twitter at Juncture Podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.